baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Remember our history, that we talk about the challenges that exist during 1906. We talk about... On Thursday this week, San Franciscans took time out of their busy schedules to observe the 113th anniversary of the city's 1906 earthquake a disaster that left thousands dead and much of the city in ruins. Today marks a time in history. In typical San Francisco fashion, it was a boisterous affair, but also a somber reminder that in earthquake country, the next big one could come at any time. I'm Keith Menconi. This is In-Depth, and today on the program, we're going to be reflecting on this historic disaster with the head of San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management to get a better sense of how the city is getting ready for the disasters to come. This could happen again. We are at risk for catastrophic seismic event. But first up, we've got some science to get to. The big question on the mind of everyone living on a fault line is, when will the big one hit? Well, of course, earthquakes are unpredictable. But one thing we can say for sure is here in California, we are well overdue. That's according to new findings from a team of U.S. Geological Survey researchers. Over a thousand-year average, we expect three to four um, of these earthquakes, ground-rupturing earthquakes, every century. Last century, we've had zero. That's seismologist Glenn Biasi, who was the first author on the study. To get those numbers, his team looked through a thousand years of the geological record, searching for evidence of major earthquakes. We looked at 12, you could think of it as uh, well-observed sites, where we have the, this thousand-year record. And they were looking for the big ones. You heard that term he used a second ago, ground-rupturing earthquakes? So by ground rupturing, what it means is that if you sat there with an armchair during the earthquake, you might see the earth actually tear or offset in front of you. So yeah, the big ones. And let's restate that finding we heard at the top. Once again, in the typical hundred years they looked at, you'd expect to see three to four of those major quakes. Over the last hundred years, we saw zero. And that 100-year gap that we just went through, it is not a blip on the statistical radar. In our estimate by chance, this is less than a percent. Our, our estimate is three-tenths of one percent that this is a statistical fluke. Huh. So we've been tossing the coin a bunch of times over the last century, and it's been coming up heads every single time. Uh, it sounds pretty unlikely. Are, are there other explanations to explain what's going on here? Our... Um... This is a point where our understanding of how faults works needs perhaps improvement. One theory is that the, the there was a run of earthquakes starting in 1812 
in Southern California, 1857, and then the 1906 earthquake in uh, Northern California, that in some sense, this collection of earthquakes released so much stress that uh, there was just not much left for uh, that it needed to rebuild before it could go on. If this is the explanation, we didn't find a precedent for it in the last thousand years. Um, so it's either a, a chance random alignment of these big guys that uh, we, we don't think we've seen in the past or something else is going on uh, mechanically, perhaps. So now that we have some sense of what the science has to say about how many earthquakes we've had and how unusual that is, I think that the the million-dollar question, the thing that people are really interested in, is what does this all tell us about what we should expect from the century ahead? Is the fact that we are getting out of an earthquake drought, is that a sign that we might be in store for an even bigger one? It's a popular question, a popular interpretation. Um, I would remind our listeners that three to four of these earthquakes per century is normal, and we haven't had any just to get well. Uh, three to four is more representative, and six or more would not be a scientific surprise. Um, my sense is that more, it more, it's more of an insurance in an insurance sense that you know insurance being a long-term average over one's life, say that in an insurance sense, I expect more activity in the coming century. Uh, exactly how and when, um, of course, is, is an open question. But is this a sign that the future earthquakes might be stronger? I mean, is there a lot more stress built up in the system, perhaps? Well, uh, if, if 1906 and 1857 and allies released this strain, then, um, and the system is now just getting well, perhaps it's returning to normal. Um, the, it, it's possible that, that we are approaching more of a normal state of affairs where we get normal um, rates of occurrence, uh, more like three to four. There, there were, I would note for our listeners that there were uh, six in the century from 1800 to 1900 at these observing sites, and there were actually eight between 1800 and 1918. So, um, you know, the Bay Area, as an example, is a much busier place in a seismic sense in the 1800s um, through 1906 than it has been. So maybe we've had that time to be complacent. And just as a society that's really built up in this relatively earthquake-free time period, I I think that that would come as a shock to the system for a lot of people and a lot of cities that all of a sudden this is something that we're dealing with uh, more frequently. It could, but I would encourage our listeners not to panic. At the same time, what's happened is engineering has gotten very, very much better for earthquake safety. So most of the new buildings that we live in are very much more safe. Old brick buildings are still unsafe, but um, we don't build that way anymore. Uh, I think our infrastructure, uh, we lost bridges in in Somar and Northridge, and Caltrans took a clue and said, you know, and they have been very, very proactive in uh, earthquake uh, damage protection for bridges and and infrastructure. So, 
a lot has been going on in the background for, to protect this, the public. So while perhaps we haven't felt it or haven't personally been disturbed, the, um, a lot is, has been going on in the background. I mean, I, I could say on a, you know, on a personal note that the Somar earthquake sheared my grandfather's house off at the ground. Today, they would not allow such a house to be built. And um, so it, it wouldn't allow it in the sense of uh, materials and methods. So the people who live where he lived in San Fernando um, are safer. And so perhaps not to panic, but to take the reasonable measures that they do have uh, to protect themselves. And any, if you are tempted to a complacence based on what's happened in the past, I would advise not to count on that looking like the future. Listening to In Depth, KCBS's weekly deep dive into some of the major trends shaping the news we report on each and every day. Today, we are marking the 113th anniversary of San Francisco's 1906 earthquake with a look at the quake risks that we're facing today. So far, we've been speaking with U.S. Geological Survey seismologist Glenn Biasi about California's apparent earthquake drought. And as we've been hearing, it's a drought that will not last forever, which means we've got to get prepared. So up next, we are going to welcome onto the program someone who is uniquely qualified to help us think through what exactly it will mean to get prepared. And that person is the executive director of San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management, Mary Ellen Carroll. I spoke with her earlier this week. Director Carroll, thanks so much for joining us in studio. Thank you for having me. So you were actually at uh, the Lattice Fountain Ceremony Thursday morning. Uh, you told me off mic that you did not get dressed up, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but tell me a little bit about why, in your view, that is an important uh, occasion to cite each and every year. Yes, absolutely. So one of the challenges of emergency management in San Francisco is that we don't experience emergencies regularly here, uh, at least at that sort of catastrophic level, which is a good thing, obviously. Um, and if we never have another earthquake, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but we are at risk for such an event, and the consequences will be significant. And so I think that the commemoration of the 1906 earthquake that was so devastating to the city, um, but also um, the recovery and sort of the rising of San Francisco from that event are very important um, historical markers for us and reminders that we are at risk for this happening again. It's most likely going to happen again. And we need to be prepared as we can for that event. And just to remind our listeners about this disaster, I mean, it was really devastating for this city. Hard to imagine now, looking back 100 years, but it, it really rocked this city to its foundations. Yes, absolutely. Um, over 85% of the city burned down. There were 3,000, uh, approximately 3,000 casualties. Um, hundreds of thousands of fo people lost their homes and were displaced from housing. Um, in a sense, the entire city really had really had to rebuild. Um, 
the remaining structures from 1906 and before are few and far between in the city, which I think speaks to the devastation of that event. And so then, given the level of devastation, what would you say is the legacy of that quake from the perspective of emergency management and preparing for future disasters? How, how has the city changed since then? Well, the city has, has changed incredibly since then. The city has changed uh, enormously in the 30 years since Loma Prieta, which was a much smaller earthquake that we experienced. I, I would say the significance of it is the reminder that this could happen again, um, that we are at risk for catastrophic seismic event, but also that we are a city that rises above, that we are a city that rose from the ashes. It is actually the symbol of our city is the Phoenix rising. And so I think that from an emergency management perspective, that gives us um, great symbolism and hope um, that that we will do that again should such an event um, happen to us. But I think it also, um, frankly, drives us on a day-to-day basis to deal with the day-to-day issues that we experience. So um, we, while we have not experienced a major disaster, we have weather, uh, we have weather events that occur. We're dealing with issues, for instance, homelessness is a crisis that we are dealing with and that actually as an emergency management we're very involved in. Um, and so as the city has changed and as events occur here, I think that um, San Francisco is resilient and that that is the message um, and the sort of inspiration that we have. Um, however, we can't just rest our laurels on that. There's actually a lot of work you need to do um, ahead of time to make sure that we, we can and will rise again. And yeah, I definitely do want to get into the uh, preparation part of the conversation. But before we get into that, to give our listeners a sense of what we're talking about here. So, I mean, just to remind folks, this was a 7.9 magnitude quake in 1906. It's a massive quake. Uh, For some perspective, the Loma Prieta was a 6.9. So what does a 7.9 magnitude quake, what would that mean for the San Francisco of today? What does that look like? Well, we have a better idea of what that looks like from an engineering perspective. Um, so, for instance, we know that we're fortunate in that a lot of our infrastructure has been um, improved and seismically upgraded. So in many ways, we can, for instance, predict um, or we, we can say, well, we've engineered certain areas and we expect them to perform fairly well. There's other areas that we know will not. We, we, it's very likely that we will not have power. It's very likely that we will uh, have damage to our, distribution, our, our water distribution s- uh, system. Um, communication is likely to be disrupted. Um, and so I think that we have more information, which helps us plan. So um, on the water side, you know, if anything, you got to be prepared to either treat your own water, have water um, put aside, I would say is one of the most important things, probably more than food. Um, but the communication part is another area that I think we're probably less uh, we're less prepared for. We're so dependent on our modes of communication. And 
it's likely that we will lose that mode at least for a temporary period of time. And that's something that I try to remind people to think about. What if you didn't have your cell phone and you did not have the internet? And do you even know, um, you know, do you, uh, if you lose power, do you have phone numbers written down when, so when uh, the phone lines come back on um, that you could contact people? So getting back to the individual response, you mentioned a second ago that communications are going to be a, a large challenge uh, throughout the city. What can individuals do to prepare to make sure that they have those lines of communications mm-hmm. when a disaster comes? Right. So um, the the biggest thing is to communicate with your people before the event happens. So as an example for families, with children, they should be talking about what to expect if an earthquake happens and the children are at school or daycare. Um, and um, when my ch- kids were younger, that was something that I always talked about. Um, okay, if an earthquake happens, this is what might this is what you'll expect. You'll stay at school. You may not see me for a little bit. Um, well, if any family's going to have that conversation, I imagine <laughs> it would be yeah, yours. Yes, <laughs> um, I think the other you know the other thing is. Um, Making a plan to have a meeting place if because you may not maybe you can't get back to your neighborhood or you you know your parents live in one place and your kids live in another and so you um, think about ways that you will reconnect. But most important is really around connectedness in general. So obviously, taking care of your own family, having a plan, and setting expectations, um, but also with your neighbors. Um, The fact is that first responders are not going to be able to be out responding to individuals immediately after a disaster. And after a catastrophic event, resources will be scarce. And so we are, it is so critical for us as a community to come together and um, the best time to do that is right now. <laughs> the best time to do that is now. So get to know your neighbors, get to know your community-based organizations, volunteer, join NERT, the Neighborhood Emergency Response Teams, um, is an, a fabulous program that we are always encourage people to um, go through the training there. It connects you not only with your community, but it connects you, connects you directly with the city response. Um, and so connectedness is probably the number one issue. Um, the, the reality is that most people are not prepared in the sense that they're, they have their list of things that they should have put together and everybody's ready to go. But, you know, in your neighborhood, in your, in, let's say you're in your apartment building, probably collectively y'all have a lot of what you might need. Um, I don't think there's a lack of opportunity, and mm-hmm. so I think getting the message out is really important. So this is an this is another opportunity for That's us to do that. That's what we're here for. Yes. That's what we're here for. Thank you. Now, getting another message out, you mentioned a second ago the list of essentials. What is that list of essentials for those of us procrastinators that don't like to think right. about these things? Well, I guess it to me it's kind of personal. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there, well, first of all, I'll say... Um, sf72.org is a great website where you can find all kinds of lists of things that you um, might may need. I have a personal list, so mm-hmm. I, like kind of a top five for me. 
Um, one is a cell phone, a, a solar cell phone charger. Okay. Uh, two is a um, some way to treat your water. So I'm a backpacker, so mm-hmm. I have water filters, um, and you know the water filters that, and they're not that expensive. For 15 bucks, you can get uh, a, a Sawyer filter or any kind of filter um, at REI or an, any other sporting goods store. Um, because you can filter the water out of your toilet tank or your hot water heater. Um, and if you store water from five years ago and you're not sure if it's okay, you can filter it. So I think water is another one. Um, you know, um, power, so having um, a radio. Um, f- I have kids who are 20 and eight. And, and 18 and honestly like they probably don't really even I think I had to show them what a radio was <laughs> you're breaking my heart you're breaking my heart <laughs> it's true though you know so I think um, you know having a solar powered battery powered radio um, because radio is mm-hmm. one of the ways that we are going to depend on to get mm-hmm. information out if we don't have power we don't have internet and that sort of thing um, and a plan you know uh Kind of write down and think about that conversation that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier with your family, um, and then other things that you need to be comfortable. And you know, food, the basic. You can imagine all the basics, but um, and I guess seventy-two hours worth of water, something on that on the yeah, order. Yeah, seventy-two hours worth of water or more, um, and a way to treat water. So the other thing about water is that water might be coming out of your faucet, mm-hmm. but we may be on. it may need to be treated because of cont- potential contamination due to pipe breaks. So that's why um, I, you know, we'll, we'll have water in the city. It's just that very likely we may need to treat it. You can treat it with a water filter. You can treat it with plain old household bleach, which is something folks don't have. Huh. Um, and it's fairly easy. We have instructions on how to do that also. I'll be looking that up. I yes. have no idea. Yes. You can <laughs> treat your water with bleach. I guess you can treat it with chlorine, so why not bleach? Yes. Makes a certain amount of sense. Yes. All right. So uh, another point that I want to hit on that list of to-dos is uh, on Thursday, the city actually sent out a message on the Alert SF system part of the 1906 uh, earthquake observance. So tell us a little bit about what that system is, what it's used for, how it can help in an emergency, and uh, how people can sign up. So we did a test of the alert system, which is one of the ways that we reach our uh, folks in San Francisco, um, which is to directly text or email people about events that may be happening, could be a warning about something we know that is coming, for instance, a, a storm, um, a major shutdown, let's say, of BART or one of the Bay Bridges. That's a, a great example of what we might use it for. Um, and um, certainly it's one of the ways that we will want to communicate and connect with people after a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the only way that we do that. We also have the um, outdoor siren system, which if you spend any time in San Francisco on Tuesday at noon, you will hear the outdoor uh, system that enables us to just get information out over these large sirens that are located throughout the city. Um, we also will be going door to door to, to um, reach out to folks. Um, we partner with the with NERT through the fire department, neighborhood emergency response teams that are would also be part of that. 
But we definitely encourage those who can to sign up for Alert SF because it's just such an easy way to receive information and it helps us uh, to be able to cover as many folks as we can with that information. It's very easy to sign up for Alert SF. You can simply text your zip code to 888-777 and you're done. You can also go on to uh, sf72.org and through, through that website sign up for multiple areas and different kinds of alerts. But the easiest way to do it is just to text your zip code to 888-777. All right. Well, just closing thoughts here. I mean, I'm struck by some of your comments earlier. I mean, for me personally, I'm I'm just an epic procrastinator. It's a good thing that I work in an industry where you have a deadline every three minutes or else I would never get anything done. So when it comes to disaster preparedness, for me, you know, that's at least... 10 things down on my list. I'm never going to get to that. And I imagine a lot of folks out there are are of a similar mentality. But based on what you're saying, I mean, there's a way of looking at it where it really can be about reengaging with your community and it can be about uh, getting doing things that you should be doing anyway, whether or not there was going to be a disaster. So there, 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 there does seem to be a better mentality we could take to all this. Yeah, I I think that, um, Thinking about catastrophic events is not something we as humans like to do on our time off. So um, in our spare time and and have in our spare thoughts. So um, it's a challenge. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, I, well, I think about it a lot. But <laughs> when I'm off, <laughs> I would hope so. I'd rather go surfing or do other things that I do than like put my emergency kit together. But I do think that um, there there are things that if, if we, you know, you don't have to have a a bunker underneath your house um, that's filled with 10 years of, of um, supplies. I think if you think practically, what do I already have? Do you go camping? You probably have most of what you need. Um, if you don't, like, there's a few key things that you might want to have. Um, and just organize yourself a little bit. Um, you know, uh, that may be just keeping your pantry uh, maybe a little f- more full or what have you. But what I would say to folks is that not there's a lot of people that don't have that luxury no matter what, even if they want to. Um, and and within our city, we have you know our our neighbors who are don't have the time or resources even for an extra day of food necessarily. So the way I look at it is that I don't want to I don't want to add to that burden. And if I have in any way able to help out my neighbors who have less when the worst the worst day happens to all of us, I think that's my responsibility. So I guilt trip myself a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, just ask yourself, you know, do you, do you want to be a victim or do you want to be part of the solution? Do you want to be part of the rising and help your neighbors and, and folks who might need it rise up? Or, you know, do you need, do you want to sit there and have to wait for someone to re- pull you out? Um, and so, when it comes to it, those who can prepare should absolutely do so. Um, All right. I'm going to have to make a few extra stops on my drive home today. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, we have been speaking today to Mary Ellen Carroll. She is the executive director of San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KCBS's In-Depth. You can find past episodes of the program online at kcbsradio.com. 
or wherever you find your podcasts. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi, and I'll see you next time. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 